0: Well, good afternoon. Good evening to everybody. Welcome to Hope for Our Times. I am Pastor Tim Thompson standing in for Pastor Tom Hughes today. I'm the senior pastor of 412 Church in Marietta, California. Also the director of an organization called Our Watch where we seek to recapture the public square uh, to take people like you who have a Judeo-Christian mindset, a, a biblical worldview, and get us out into to the political realm and recapture the public square and uh, really have an effect for the kingdom of god here on earth while there still is breath in our lungs you know the lord told us to occupy until he returns and so uh, that's what we are doing i'm very grateful that pastor tom hughes would allow me to spend some time with you all this evening and um just Want to let you know real quick we are going to be in the gospel of matthew today if you want to make your way there matthew chapter five is kind of where we're going to land and the title of what i want to talk to you about this message is called rapture or revival and um, there's there's a lot to that but before we get into that let me just tell you we are going to be in the word of god today and and as we look prophetically one thing we do know is that we are coming into a time just like god said there would be where people will no longer endure sound doctrine Doctrine. Uh, they're going to heap up for themselves preachers that will tickle their ears, just tell me what I want to hear, make me feel good about myself, I want to know the ten best ways to be the best me I can be, I want five examples or five methods of, of conflict resolution, just give me something that sounds good and, and uh, it's a, a nice philosophy and yet it's not the Word of God. We are living in those times, and I'm telling you, we need to dig into this book right here. Uh, For those of you that are disciples of Jesus, one thing you know about this book is it's more than just a book. This right here is the inerrant, the infallible word of the one true living God. Those are two fancy theological words simply mean this. Everything that you find in this book from Genesis through Revelation is the inspired word of God. It is right. Right. It is perfect, it is correct, it lacks nothing, it has never contradicted itself, it has never changed. It has stood the test of time, it gives us all the instructions we need to live the life God's called us to live. It has in there all the answers for everything that has taken place, all the answers for everything that is taking place, and all the answers for everything that will take place, and it has much to say about things in the future. And we're going to talk about some of those, just a small portion of it tonight. Uh, But we are going to dig into God's Word. And so once again, Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be. And I want to talk to you about change in our lives. Of course, we're living in a time where people are desperately looking for change they are desperately trying to find something radically different than what the rest of society has to offer and they're trying to find it in a multitude of ways they're trying to find it through social justice they're trying to find it through drugs and alcohol they're trying to find it through relationships they're trying to find it through entertainment or the next politician who's going to be the politician that that saves us and changes things for us they're looking for radical transformation and we know that the transformation they truly need is found in jesus christ but nonetheless they are looking for that radical transformation and and people are beginning to realize that that social justice stuff it's just not going to be the thing that fills their need of course we see Many different avenues of that taking place. We see Black Lives Matter uh, and, and the way they've found its way into almost every organization, including, I, I hate to say it, but including even some churches. you got pastors that are taking a knee at BLM marches. you got pastors who are teaching their congregations that they should be ashamed of their whiteness or ashamed of their privilege, uh, whatever it is that, that they're trying to push. But one thing we know is that... These kind of social justice organizations, they typically they're anti-God. Uh, you look at Black Lives Matter; they are anti-nuclear family, anti-heteronormativity. Uh, that's a word I didn't even know existed until the last couple of years. But uh, anti-heteronormativity, in other words, God created male and female, and and the right sexual relationships would be between a man and a woman who are married to one another. They're against that. They're for the transgender movement and anti-nuclear family. And so we're seeing that this social justice type of gospel has met its way into almost every aspect of our lives right now. And people are trying to fill that need, that void, uh, those desires for radical transformation in their lives. I'll tell you what we need right now is we need a revival. We need to see this country and our nation and this entire world wake up. And that only comes through knowing Christ and growing in Christ. And of course, we need to do that. I want to talk to you real quick about the beginnings of an organization, uh, dare I say a family, uh, called Calvary Chapel. You know, I'm, I'm a young man, I'm just about 45 years old. And, and I say that's young, my kids would say I'm old, but uh, I, I'm a young man still. And I know this, that at the birth of the Calvary Chapel movement, there were people desiring the same thing that we see people desiring today. They wanted something radically different than what society was offering them. And so they were searching this out through drugs. They were searching this out through alcohol and sex and partying, uh, music, entertainment. They wanted something radically different than what society had to offer them. And they were searching for that. And it's an amazing thing because a man named Chuck Smith came along. And Chuck Smith had this revolutionary idea. He said, I'm gonna teach people the Bible. I'm gonna begin in Genesis. I'm gonna go all the way through Revelation. And when we get to Revelation, I'm gonna go back to Genesis and start all over. And I'm just gonna teach people this book right here, knowing that in it contains life and it contains all the answers they're looking for. It will fulfill them in ways they never knew they could be fulfilled. And so he began that journey, and it's funny because it really did speak to this community of people back in the 60s and early 70s that were known as the hippies. Maybe some of you tuned in today. You were one of those hippies out there in Costa Mesa, Newport Beach area. Uh, You... You were walking around with shorts or cut-up jeans, flip-flops, your hair was long. I've never really known what that's like. But um, clearly, uh, I don't have a lot of hair. But the, the point I'm making is this, is the hippies in the 60s and 70s were looking for something radically different than what society had to offer them. And a man named Chuck Smith brought them the Word of God. And they started to flock to him. Why? Because he had the answers they were looking for. And it began this whole movement. There was this thing called the Jesus Movement. And the hippies would would come into the church. And it's a funny thing because as they came to the church, one of the things that happened was the stuffy, old, do it the same way over and over again, religious people got upset. They're like, the carpet's getting dirty. These people are coming in and, and look what they're doing to the carpet, it's just a mess. Well, Chuck Smith said, okay, here's what we'll do. Just rip out the carpet problem solved and we'll just teach the Word of God and he did he continued to just faithfully teach the Word of God and what do we have today I myself my kids someday my grandkids we all get to benefit from that movement that the Word of God went all over the place now some 1,800 plus churches across the world it's an incredible thing when people are thirsty for the Word of God and I'll tell you right now we're seeing that same thing happening right now And what we need to do, if if you are watching today and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've made Jesus your Lord and your Savior, you are a disciple of the one true living God, we need to see that there is an awakening taking place. There is something happening in our culture. And we need to see that process of sanctification being taken place In our lives where God chips away from us the things that don't belong there he adds to us the things that do this is the process we call sanctification and we need to allow that process to happen in our lives I'll tell you why because I believe one of two things is going to happen and I believe they're going to happen very very soon either one we're going to see the rapture of the church Now, I would say amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Why do you wait so long? Um, I would love to see the rapture of the church, but I'll tell you, if we don't see the rapture, what we're going to see is a revival, either the rapture or the revival, because things are going in a direction where it can't continue much longer. It can't keep going the way it's going. Either God's going to snatch us up. We're going to talk about the rapture in just a moment, but he's either going to snatch us up or he, and take us out of here, or we, the church, are going to wake up in a way and get involved in a way that the world didn't see coming. So either way, I'm good with it. Lord, you want to take us up? You want to rapture us now? Amen and amen. But if not, Lord, I will occupy until you return, and I will be awake, and I will be engaged, and I will be prepared because your Holy Spirit is in me. So, so much to talk about with that. But we need to look at the movement of God that's happening around us. Of course, like I said, that process of sanctification. You and I as believers need to allow God to work on us right now. There are things in your life, there are things in my life, God needs to chip this stuff out. It doesn't belong there, and we need to pray, Lord, would you help us to examine ourselves and allow you that work of removing from us? And I don't know what that is for you, um, but you know you know what that is for you. You need to just invite The lord in and allow him to do that work and there's other things that you don't have maybe you don't even know what they are yeah these things that you don't know ask god for it just ask lord would you would you add to me the things maybe there's wisdom that you need he said ask ask for it in fact you don't even have to feel bad for asking for it he said if you ask he's going to pour it out upon you in a very he'll just pour it out liberally he'll just pour it out upon you and like i said you don't even have to feel bad for asking for that but there's this horrible, horrible feeling in the life of a believer. This feeling of being stagnant. This feeling of waking up day after day and you don't know where you're headed. You don't feel that you're growing. You don't feel that you're, you're advancing in your Christianity. And that's a horrible feeling and it's not how God wants us to live. And I would submit to you that that's kind of how the church has been for a while. And there's this movement right now, this shaking that's happening from the church. And I know you know what I'm talking about. You can feel it. You can see it. Um, If you are a person who has the Spirit of God and you're very well aware that God is on the move right now. He is working in our very midst. So if you are one of those Bible believing believers in Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you three takeaways as we spend time together this evening. I want to give you three things that you and I need to know about knowing Christ And growing in him especially as we see the day approaching that he returns so again if you haven't done so turn to Matthew chapter 5 we're gonna pick up in verse 1 verse 1 of Matthew chapter 5 it says that Jesus seeing the multitudes he went up on the mountain and when he had he was seated his disciples came to him then listen to this Jesus opened his mouth and taught them I'm gonna pause there for just a moment Jesus opened his mouth now, you might say, well, yeah, duh, Pastor Tim. I mean, he's, he's teaching, so he's got to open his mouth. And I would tell you to not just listen to those words in English and go, okay, he opened his mouth. Let me tell you, when we translate that over, we lose a little bit, but when Jesus opened his mouth, he opened it up with such a power. He opened it up with such an authority. When he opened his mouth and began to teach, I guarantee you the people that were there, they were paying attention he spoke with this power and this strength that everyone was very well aware that they better listen up when he spoke now i want to give you the first thing this morning and that is or this evening and that is this knowing and growing in christ knowing christ and growing in him number one is this you have to know your condition and you have to know your position in christ if we're going to know God and we're gonna grow in God we better know our position in God right we better know what our condition is so the first thing you have to know here is in uh, verse 3 it says blessed are the poor in spirit for they will inherit the kingdom of God so let us look at this for a moment blessed are the poor in spirit, these are the two key words for us. So poor, let me first of all tell you what this is talking about. This isn't talking about just, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm out of money. I mean, I, all I could do is get two Starbucks this week and, you know, I'm just feeling really poor right now. That's not the type of poor that Jesus is talking about here. I'll tell you this. Um, this is a poor that you and I don't understand here in America. This is a poor that most Americans don't understand, and I'll tell you why. Because even the poorest people in America are richer than most people in the entire world. Most of the poor here in America, in fact, I would say all the poor in America, they have access to food, they have access to clothing, they have access to health care, they have access to shelter, they have access to all of these things that most of the world wishes they even came close to having access to, and that's the poor in our nation. we don't understand this type of poor that Jesus is talking about here. So let me just explain it to you this way. I was in Nairobi, Kenya uh, several years back and they have this area called the Kibera slums. Now this is one of the poorest places in the entire world. And when I got there, I, I looked down on the ground I see this burnt mark on the ground and I, I asked "Hey, what's this burn mark from? And they said, you know, a man stole a bolt from another man here and they stuck a tire around him and set the tire on fire. They killed a man because he stole a bolt. And I asked, why, why, why would they do that? And they said, well, because people here are so poor, they take stealing very seriously. Even a bolt is something that means a lot to them. And so they killed him for it. That is the type of poor that's being discussed here in God's Word. He says, blessed are the people that are poor. They're destitute. They're left to begging in the streets. And he says, blessed are the people that are poor in what? Poor in spirit. Now, what does that mean? So, the word that's used there literally means like wind. And we use this word to describe the Holy Spirit. Now, that Holy Spirit, you know, we're not talking about that because obviously the context are, are people and blessed are people that are poor in spirit. So, literally, in context, this is talking about who you are as an individual. It's yourself. And so, what God is saying here is blessed are the people who are extremely destitute, left to begging in who they are themselves in other words they don't have anything of value Um, i love how john stott he said this he says to be poor in spirit is to acknowledge our spiritual poverty indeed our spiritual bankruptcy before god for we are sinners under the holy wrath of god and deserving nothing but the judgment of god we have nothing to offer nothing to plead nothing with which to buy the favor. Of heaven, That is John Stout. Now, let me tell you something. The significance of what we heard just now, I think sometimes we let it slip right past us. Think about it in these terms. Jesus is beginning what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest epilogue. You would never see anything this incredible anywhere else on earth. He, he spends his time here on earth and he decides in this moment I'm going to preach a message that is going to be written in my word and stand the test of time. Centuries after century, families are going to hear this sermon. They're going to know what I've said. Now, I'll tell you this, Jesus, he raised the bar in this sermon. I mean, the the Jews that that had lived prior to Jesus, they knew the standard of God. What Jesus does when this Sermon on the Mount, he comes and he raises the standard. He makes it impossible he makes it impossible to get to heaven he makes it impossible to know god unless you go through him and that's why jesus says that he is the way the truth and the life and nobody comes to the father unless they go through jesus so here we have this opening of this incredible incredible sermon by jesus christ and it's isn't it interesting that he sets he sets the stage for us what is your position what is my position in god It is a position of us understanding our bankruptcy, our inability to get ourselves into heaven. That's what he starts off with saying, listen, blessed are you when you realize you have nothing. Now, we look at the church right now across America, across the world, and in many ways, the church, they don't think like that. In fact, in our culture, we've been telling people, you're good enough. You guys have heard of that, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. You know, that's, that's what people have been told. They've been lied to, even from the pulpits. What they have not been told is, listen, you are a wreck. Without God, you are nothing. People might say, well, have you seen my house? I got a great house. Look at the car I drive. Look at my suit. You know, and they think, hey, look, look how much I've accomplished. What do you mean I don't add up? What do you mean I'm not good enough? Jesus himself. He says, look, it, the people that inherit the kingdom of heaven are the people who realize their position and their condition. Their condition is one of bankruptcy. Their condition is one of not adding up. That's the condition, and yet their position, the people who recognize that, their position is one of somebody who inherits. Well, what is somebody who inherits? That is a son. That is a daughter. So, in other words, you, when you get that right understanding of who you are when you compare yourself to the standard that God set, which is found in His Son, Jesus, When you realize that you come up very short and you enter into that relationship with God, you become his child. Now you're gonna inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you may be saying, well, what does this have to do with prophecy? Uh, Let me tell you what it has to do with prophecy. Revelation chapter uh, chapter three. Revelation chapter three, we see this idea of the seven churches. And uh, in, in chapters two and chapter three, it outlines these seven churches. And at the very end of these seven churches, you get to a church called the Church of Laodicea. Now, this Church of Laodicea, it was the last of those seven churches, and it was a literal church. Of course, Jesus spoke through John, and, and uh, he outlined this, how he looked at these churches. And, of course, the churches, when they looked at them themselves, they thought one thing but as jesus looks he sees what really is and he tells john hey listen these things write these down for the the seven churches and and he tells the church at laodicea something very important and this is what jesus says he says i know your works take a look if you would in revelation chapter 3 verse 15 he says i know your works that you are neither cold nor hot i could wish you were cold or hot so then Because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I'm going to pause there for just a moment. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to vomit you out. Now, why why does a person vomit? Think about it. We vomit. Our bodies have been designed by God to vomit when something is in there that doesn't belong. When something that's in there that, that is poisonous, it's toxic to your body, your body's been designed to expel it because it doesn't belong in your body Jesus is saying listen I want I want the churches in my body but you've been neither cold nor hot so I'd vomit you out you don't I don't have room for you in, in everything that's going on so I, I need to expel you from this this is what Jesus is saying he says because you say I am rich have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do, not know, do you not know that you are wretched Miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Were they poor? Well, the church at Laodicea was very wealthy. Were they blind? The church at Laodicea was known for a salve that they would put on the eyes. Were they naked? The church at Laodicea was known for its fancy clothes. But Jesus is saying, I know what you see and what you think about yourself, but I see the real you. You are miserable, you are wretched. You are naked, you're blind, you're poor. This is from the words of Jesus himself. And it's important for us to understand that this seventh church, even though this is an actual church, we see through those seven churches this, this continual theme throughout the history of the church, this time, this time that you and I are living in known as the church age, the, the age of grace, that there is this building up and and this church that exists right before the return of Christ is much like that church of Laodicea it is a lukewarm church it is a church that has so much it thinks it doesn't need God it doesn't recognize its need for God and we've seen that across the world we've seen churches that are just filled with money they got plenty of money you don't believe me travel to the Vatican Take a look at what's going on there at the Vatican. They have so much land. They have so much art. They have so much money. They have so much. It's not a feel of a need for God when you think about it. You look at churches all over America. There are massive, multi-million dollar facilities. Pastors are flying around in Lear jets. They're wearing $10,000 suits. I'm telling you. Across America, the church has become lukewarm. The church has become stagnant. The church has forgotten its position and its condition when they compare itself to God. And so they've forgotten their need for God. And what we're seeing right now is God reaching out of eternity and grabbing hold of the church and shaking the church and saying, Wake up! And I think that's a good and a healthy thing for the church right now. As we see the day approaching, the soon return of Jesus Christ, it brings much joy to me to know that God is not letting us slumber around in our slothfulness. God is not allowing us to continue being apathetic or being, you know, in this condition where we're lukewarm. He's waking us up, and I see that happening all around. So this church is, is pointing us to this idea that we need to be hot or cold. We need, to, we need to warm up when it comes to the work that God wants to do here on earth. And I'll tell you this, and I'll, and I'll, I'll confess this to you, not every church goer needs to hear what I'm saying right now. This is, you know, it's a good reminder for some people, but there are, there are a good handful of, of Christian people that are like, look, I get it. I, I'm there. I understand. I, I, I know I'm wicked. I'll tell you what, I am one of those people. I, I'm one of those people, where I know I'm a, I'm a miserable wreck. I, I wake up in the morning, I cannot believe that God would choose to use me. I don't even know, other apart from this right here, and what it says in here, I have no clue why God would use me. All I know is that in the word of God, God says he's looking down from heaven, he's trying to find somebody who's good, and he can't find one. No, not one. Can't find it. So what does he have to work with? He's got people like me. And so I feel blessed that, he would reach out of humanity and choose to use me. I wake up every morning just amazed that, uh, that I have that privilege of teaching the Holy Word of God. You know, that's what God's got. So you, that might be you and you're hearing this going, okay, this pastor's just going to beat this into me. I'm worthless. I'm useless. Um, I'm not trying to do that. What I'm trying to do is get us as a church, the, the capital C Church, for us to understand our need for God and how many of the churches across America have forgotten that. We need to remember we serve a holy God and even our best day, think about the best day. You you woke up in the morning, you, you woke up and you opened this up right away, you just soaked this in, you prayed, you got out on the mission field, you were working for God all day long and you did awesome that day. God says even that, your best day, your righteousness, It's his filthy rags. It still doesn't measure up to the standard that God has put for us. So again, some of you already understand this. But my guess and and what I know from being in ministry, as long as I've been in ministry for, there are some of you or somebody that you know, they still don't get this. They still don't see their condition. They still have bought into the lie that our culture tells them that they are good enough. That they're smart enough doggone it people like them um we don't want to make people feel bad what we want them to do is just come to that knowledge of their condition and their position now think about this the the condition part's hard it's a hard pill to swallow because like i said our culture tells us we're great but once we swallow that condition pill the position thing is pretty nice that that even though we are in this condition of being a wreck we're positioned to inherit the kingdom of God. And that's a beautiful thing, that while you and I were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I love that about God. Now, here's the second thing I want to share with you, and that is this. Knowing and growing in Christ, yes, it involves you and I knowing what our condition is and knowing what our position is, but it also, it includes you and I responding properly to that. Once we know our Position once we know our condition we got to respond to it, right? This the next verse in Matthew chapter 5 is verse 4 It says blessed are those who mourn For they shall be comforted. This is the response to The first part blessed are those right it says blessed are those who are poor in spirit The response to that is to mourn blessed are those who mourn now Why is it that those who mourn are blessed? Well, I'll tell you why because when you mourn over your condition it leads to something important in fact second corinthians chapter seven tells us it says that godly sorrow produces repentance that's what it does it produces repentance it leading us to salvation not to be regretted but the sorrow of the world produces death now here's the idea is the world the sorrow of the world just says, well i'm sorry now i messed up sorry but then it continues on just doing whatever it feels like doing The sorrow of the godly, when you and I mourn over our condition of being a spiritual wreck, when we mourn over that, that leads you and I to repentance. In other words, you were traveling down one path, you were doing one thing, you were were headed in this direction away from God, and you decided, you know I'm going to turn that around, I'm going to turn my my life back towards Christ, I'm going to focus on God, I'm going to walk the path that He's asked me to walk, and I'm going to do what's right now that when you and I mourn over our sin we have the the godly sorrow as 2nd Corinthians 7 calls it when you and I have godly sorrow causes us to repent and now that leads us to salvation it leads us to life everlasting with Christ so there's this sorrow that a person can feel that's a feeling now sorrow is a feeling but repentance that's a whole different thing that's a transformation of mind It's a transformation of life. It's a transformation of your actions and your behavior. So this sorrow that you and I could have leads us to that repentance, leading us to salvation. Here's the third thing this evening. That once you and I respond properly to our condition and our position, we need to move forward in life appropriately. We need to respond properly. We need to move forward appropriately here's what verse 5 says it says blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth now i want to park on this one for just a second blessed are the meek now we live in a culture that doesn't really understand that word meek a lot of people when they hear the word meek i will confess when i was growing up i heard the word meek i heard weak. if oh that person's very meek i would think oh well then that person must be weak that isn't at all what is being referred to here Now, think about Jesus. Jesus was meek. He stood before Pilate and he was meek. Now, some people hear that, well, then he was weak. I mean, Jesus died, didn't he? Now, (laughs) here's the deal. Let me tell you real quick before we move on what meek is. Meek is strength under control. Let me say that one more time. When someone is being meek, that is strength under control. Don't think for a moment that Jesus was anyway weak jesus was a strong man's man in every sense of the word i think when we have these pictures of jesus being meek uh, we have this renaissance period picture of jesus you know the one i'm talking about it's just like milky looking skin and he's hanging on this cross all dainty looking and effeminate looking and just a fraction of a man and that isn't at all what portrays who jesus was or is not a, not in the least bit Jesus was a man's man he was a tough man he was a person who had strength and yet that strength was under control think about Jesus standing in front of Pilate he looked Pilate in the eyes he says you've got nothing you have nothing on I mean, you have no power you have no authority the only thing you've got is what I've given you you only have power because I've given it. you only have authority because I've given it to you you would have nothing if it weren't for me That is strength under control. That's what that is. You don't think for a moment that Jesus could have just spoken or he could have spoken a word and legions of angels would have come. He could have just went, get them, boys. You know, he could have just said that and boom, Pilate's life would have been over. He would not have known what hit him. Those Pharisees that were there trying to capture Jesus and get him crucified, they would have been wiped out in a millisecond. It wouldn't even have been difficult. Jesus had all that strength, and yet he had that strength under control. That is Jesus. That is what he's looking for when it comes to you, when it comes to me, as we live out our lives, as we know our position in God, as we know our condition, as we respond to that with mourning. We mourn we, we over our failures and our shortcomings. Now we get out and we actually get busy for Jesus. And I'll tell you, Hebrews chapter 10 tells you and me not to neglect the coming together of ourselves, right? The assembling of ourselves together. Why? What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be watching. We're supposed to be spurring one another on towards love and good deeds, especially as what? Especially as you and I see the day approaching, that day when Christ is coming back. We know that that day is fast approaching. How do we know it? because time and time again throughout God's Word, He's given us things that you and I should know, you and I should be looking for. And we know that that return of Christ is happening so quickly. All these things are happening in front of our very eyes. And so we are supposed to be spurring one another on. We're supposed to be out being highly effective for the kingdom of God. It is this meekness that God wants in us, this strength under control that stands in front of Pontius Pilate and says, you got nothing on me. And I don't care where you live in this nation or in this world, as you look into the culture right now, there is a culture that is yearning for people like you, people that trust the written Word of God, people that have put this into practice, people that know their condition. You know you're not perfect, but you know who is. And you know that you've been adopted into His family. You've inherited the kingdom of God. You're mourning over your sin, and yet you are standing in that strength under control to go and affect the kingdom of god people are waiting for this and i'm telling you it is time for you and i to get out and use that god has placed his holy spirit in you if you're a believer today god has placed his holy spirit in you and he wants to do a work in you and through you he took who he is the omniscient omnipotent omnipresent God in other words he's the God who knows everything can't hide anything from him right he's everywhere there's nowhere you can go to escape him and he has all power and all strength think about that for a moment that God who created the universe who breathes out stars that God has placed his spirit in you and said I'm coming back but until I do get busy What are you going to do? What are you going to do with that power that is in you? Having that power under control, might I submit to you that God wants to use that in your life as we see the day approaching for His return? I can tell you this. He says, blessed are the meek. Why? Because the meek are going to inherit the earth. And I love what Charles Spurgeon said about that. He said, it looks as though they would be pushed out of the world. looks like those meek people would be pushed out. But they shall not be, for they shall inherit the earth. The wolves devour the sheep, yet there are more sheep in the world than there are wolves. And the sheep continue to multiply and to feed in green pastures. Why is that? Two reasons. First, because the sheep know the shepherd. Second, because the shepherd can beat back the wolves. That's a beautiful thing to think about this evening, is that God has placed His Spirit in you. You are His sheep. And you know the voice of the shepherd. Get out there with that strength that you have and use it for God. We are living in a time where one of two things is going to take place. Like I said in the beginning, we're going to see the rapture of the church or we're going to see a great revival. And I know this, I'm ready for either one. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. But I want to make sure that you are well aware that one of those two things is going to happen at some point because things can't go on the way they're going on. If God doesn't come and remove us, I told you I'd talk about the rapture, let me just talk about that for a moment. There will come a point in time, we're told in the book of 1 Thessalonians, there's going to come a point in time when God is going to send His Son back. Jesus is going to return, and He's going to raise the dead to life. And those who are alive and remain, in other words, if you are alive when Christ does this work, He's going to transform your body, 1 Corinthians 15 says that. He's going to transform your body. He's going to give you a resurrected body in a heartbeat. And guess what's going to happen? He's going to bring us up to be with Him, and there we will be with Jesus forever. That is an incredible thing for you and I to be waiting for. And what will happen, I'm telling you this, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 it talks about this, that, that there is this work of restraining that's going on. The Bible tells us that, that there's a person called Antichrist. And this person, Antichrist, is not going to be revealed until something happens. And what that is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that thing that has to happen is that the person who restrains, he who restrains, has to be removed. And once he who restrains is removed, then the Antichrist will be revealed. Well, let's talk about that for just a brief moment. He who restrains is what? The Holy Spirit of God. Now, if he is removed, isn't he in you? Isn't he in me? God said He will not leave us orphans. He will send for us a helper. If the Holy Spirit is removed, guess what? The church is removed as well. When we are removed, think about it. You and I are the restraining force. The Holy Spirit in us, the church, is the restraining force here on earth. If it weren't for people like you and me standing up for righteousness in this day and age, then all hell would break loose on earth. The Antichrist would be revealed. And yet God is still here doing that work of restraining in and through the church. And so at some point, the rapture is going to take place. The Antichrist is going to be revealed. (coughs) But that hasn't happened yet. So we're looking at a point in time in the history of the world where one of those two things is going to happen. Either God is at that point where His Son is ready to return and He's going to remove us, or... He's going to tarry. He's going to continue on for a while. And what that means is you and I have a decision to make as citizens of heaven that are here on earth. And that decision is, are we going to allow this unrighteousness to continue in our culture? Or are we going to be what God has called us to be, the salt of the earth, the light of the world? I'll tell you this, salt is a preservative. Light reveals what is in the darkness. It exposes the wickedness that is there. God wants to do that work in us and through us. He told us that's what we are. And so I would submit to you this, that as you and I look at everything going on in our culture, it is high time that we don't put up with this anymore. It's time for Christians to stand up. It's time for pastors to open their churches. It's time for believers in Christ to get out and put feet to their faith and actually do something for the kingdom of God. The church is waking up, and I know you can feel it. Now, here's the thing. Some of you that are watching this program right now, you might not have the Holy Spirit of God in you, but you're hearing what we're talking about, and you're going, I want me some of that. That sounds like a good idea to me. Now, I'll tell you this. It's very simple. You are imperfect. I am imperfect. That is the condition of humanity. There's only one person who has ever been perfect. That is the man Christ Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus is God. Some 2,000 years ago, God took on human form. He walked This earth lived a life of perfection for some 33 years. At the end of those 33 years, he was tortured. He was placed on a cross and he suffered and he died. Why? He did that for you because he loves you. He took your place in death. That's what Jesus did. And you know what? He didn't just go into a grave and remain there. Three days later, he rose again. Fifty days after that, he sent his Holy Spirit to live within anybody who would call upon him as Lord and Savior. And it is his Spirit in us that gives us all the love, the joy, the peace, the kindness, the patience, the gentleness, the self-control, the strength, the wisdom, the courage, the boldness. Everything that you and I need to live the life and be as effective as God has called us to be, we get by having the Spirit of God in us. That, my friends... That is how Christianity works. And so if you've never given your life to the Lord, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. And it is as simple as saying this prayer with me, and you can repeat this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I confess to you that I am a sinner, that I have messed up, but I've heard everything that this guy just said about your son Jesus. And I believe it with all of my heart that Jesus... Is God that he lived in a human body that he suffered and died a death on a cross for me that he was placed into a grave but he didn't remain there I believe that he rose again three days later and that he sent his Holy Spirit to live into people that believe in him and so I confess that I believe in you now would you send your Holy Spirit to live in me would you give me all those things that he was talking about the love the joy the peace the kindness the patience the gentleness Would you give me boldness? Would you give me courage? Would you give me wisdom? Come into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. And I promise this day that as I see everything going on in the culture around me, I promise I will do my best to effect change for your kingdom. And so I pray, Father, that you would be glorified in my life and through my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Well, if you said that prayer, welcome to the family of God. We are so grateful that you did that. Um, Everybody that's been tuning into this, so grateful that you tuned in to Hope for Our Times this evening. Uh, Again, my name is Pastor Tim Thompson. I filled in for Pastor Tom Hughes. But I want to tell you on behalf of Tom Hughes, thank you all for tuning in. God bless you. And he will see you all next week. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast.